In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Good evening, good evening, good evening. How are you guys doing? Yeah, look at you all. Welcome to our candlelight service. It is, it is such an honor to, uh, to, to, uh, to spend this time with you. I, I, there's something just so um, beautiful about a, uh, this, these services. There's, um, it, it's just, it's beautiful, isn't it? The worship team did an amazing job leading us in worship. I can, I can tell you guys are not quite used to um, having that live uh, worship atmosphere, so it's okay. We, we got to get back into that, right? 
So it, it's such an awesome to be uh, to, with you guys and to, to be able to celebrate Christmas and, and all that's happening, even though it's 50 degrees outside, uh, and tomorrow it's going to be four inches of snow. So welcome to Ohio, right? <laughs> so, uh, man, it, the, the uh, candlelight service is, is a beautiful event, and there's a beauty and a calmness that, that comes from the glow of a candle. It's a, there's something unique about it. The, the flicker of the flame that pulls you in and, and causes you to slow down for just, just a moment. Uh, in fact, it, I don't know if you knew this or not, but it is scientifically proven that uh, a candle can soothe us, uh, but, but how does it do it? How does a candle relax our minds? Well, let's see. It's, it's, uh, this is, I'm quoting from a study. It says, the low light that comes from a candle is captured by your sight and sent straight to your brain for processing. The combination of our past experiences and the scent of this candle causes, uh, triggers our hectic brains to slow down and just relax. The, the perks of, of feeling relaxed is, it says that, the, uh, that there, because you are relaxed and with the candle burning is that you'll have more energy, that you have better sleep, you have enhanced immunity. That's a real plus right now. There's less pain and there's a more pre- you have a more pleasant personality. Some of you are figuring out how you can have a candle burning around your spouse at all times. There's a gentle, mesmerizing quality of a candle that the candle's light makes a, a perfect for relaxation. The candle's flame helps soothe our soul, reducing stress, allowing us to focus inwardly. And I'm still quoting, the soft illumination helps us calm down and even ch- uh, achieve a meditative state. Now, now we, we've been walking through this series called Glory, the Face of Jesus, and the whole purpose of this series has been, been to be intentional about focusing on Jesus despite the chaos and craziness around our world. And what we have discovered is that the nativity, you know, the story of the birth of Jesus, is actually a story of, of, of lots of craziness. The, the, the Romans were oppressing the Jews. The, there's a giant Roman army that needs somehow to figure out how to, to keep funded. And so they are uh, figuring out a way to tax the Jews. And in fact, that is exactly why Joseph and Mary are on the way to Bethlehem. is because the, Jew, the Jews are being taxed by the Romans. And history tells us that the Jews were extorted by, by Rome. And taxed upon tax beyond what they could have ever actually owned they were being taxed for. Joseph is barely scraping by. I love the little portrayal here. You got this young, this guy trying to get his wife to a place where he's comfortable, comfortable enough for his bride to have her first child. And then while Jesus is in the midst of all this, and has a, in the first couple years of his, of his life, they have to escape to a foreign country just to live. All this is happening, but in the midst of this, all this difficulty and chaos, God reveals to Joseph that God is using all of this chaos and hectic and, and madness to reveal to us God. It says in uh, Joseph, he's got, the angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. Just as God was present in their overwhelming, tumultuous world that was taking place for Mary and Joseph, God is with us today. There's so much packed in that statement, Emmanuel, God with us. What, what, does, that, what does that mean, God is with us? It, it means that Jesus is the glory of God revealed to us on earth. All the characteristics of Jesus are all the identical characteristics of God. God on earth. God gives us his own description, and we've been walking through this in the series uh, um, through the past four weeks. Uh, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And Jesus reveals to us all these same characteristics. Thus far in the series, we've been able to look at uh, three of those characteristics. We've looked at compassion, grace, and this past Sunday, slow to anger, one of my favorites, an interesting message. It's appropriate for us during a candlelight service to look at the fourth characteristic, unfailing love. Unfailing love. It's actually one word in the Hebrew, and it's a word, uh, hasid, hasid. You got to get that little guttural, hesed there. Hesed is a challenging word to translate because it actually combines ideas of love, generosity, and enduring commitment. Now, this is where we get to have some fun because hesed is translated in English translations multiple different ways. Uh, The NIV says mercy. Uh, The King James says loving kindness. They made up their own word. Loving kindness combined it all. Unfailing love. Uh, and, then un- and then in steadfast love are all different ways. Now, when you notice these kinds of differences in any translation, when you read the Bible and you notice there's different uh, translations and uh, words and different translations, it's a red flag. Not in a negative way, but in really actually a positive way because there's something interesting going on here. It's because the Hebrew word or the Greek word, depending on what, where you read New Testament or Old Testament, that these translations show that there's no easy one-to-one translation. There's no just take this word and substitute it for this word. It, it's meaning that the, the language and the concepts of the Bible language are different than the language and concept that we're used to. When you study uh, the, this word hesed, it's, it's found in the Old Testament 245 times. You'll discover that it describes really an act of promise-keeping Loyalty that is motivated by personal care. Chesed is the kind of love that's demonstrated by someone determined to keep a promise, motivated to endure and maintain a covenant through a self-sacrifice generosity. It's a, a foundational love that requires action. Because it's easy to say the words, I love you, but to live out your love by honoring your commitment to someone, to another person, by serving them sacrificially goes beyond 
any type of words. The, the majority of the time that the Bible uses the word chesed, it's in reference to God's love for humanity. In fact, 75% of the time, it is describing God's love for a humanity that is often undeserving. The first example of hesed that is given to us from one man to another man is actually found in Genesis chapter 47. And it's a unique situation. Uh, Jacob has, uh, to, who becomes, is named Israel as well. Jacob is Israel. Joseph, his son, was the one who was sold into slavery, was in Egypt. And Jacob comes, moves down there to survive the famine. At the end of Jacob's life, it says this in chapter 47, Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew for, the, for Israel to die, that's Jacob, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me chesed. Kindness is the way that the King James, or the NIV translates it. And faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. Joseph says, I will do as you say. Joseph demonstrates here true chesed because he's doing something that can never be repaid. He can never be held accountable for not doing it. If he didn't bury his father, no one would have been able to say, you promised your dad that no one else knew of the commitment that he had made. But Hesed, that unfailing love, is generated purely by the character of the person demonstrated it. When they fulfill their commitments to another person in their family or in their community. I work with best with, with images and I was trying to think of the best image that I could give to you for that. And I, I, what I picture is a, a, a couple that's been married for 40 to 50 years. And one of them gets to the point in, in their life where they're no able to contribute to the relationship. And despite the, the cost, the frustration, the hurt, the other spouse cares for them unconditionally. That's chesed. There's actually a story of a man named Clive Wearing. And his wife, uh, he got a sickness in his, uh, an infection in his brain. And he was, he's only at this time able to remember the last seven seconds. So every seven seconds is new. Uh, he's kept part of his memory. He can speak. He can play music. But he doesn't remember what happened eight seconds ago. The only person he re is, knows who they are is his wife. And despite the fact that it's been 20-some years since this has taken place... His wife still comes to care for him, still comes to, and immediately as she sees, as, when he sees her, everything about his demeanor changes. It's a beauty, beautiful story of chesed. It, it's clear that chesed is, does not have one-for-one one translation in, uh, in, the, uh, in English, so I almost felt like, it's, like it needs a whole sentence. So here's how I, if you walk out of here tonight, here's what I want you to think of God's unfailing love. It's an overflowing love that never quits flowing. God's unfailing love, his chesed, is an overflowing love that never stops flowing. I got a, a video here of a stream. And this is, if, I, if you could imagine uh, this stream, this mountain stream coming from the mountains. And if I had a cup and I placed it here in the stream... And no matter how, of time, how many times that the cup would full, be full, it would keep on 
overflowing. That's a demonstration of what God says his love is like, is that no matter how much you think you can consume it, it'll just keep flowing. It, oh, it's an overflowing love that never quits flowing. Here's what the, the, the psalmist wrote of God's chesed, the, unfl- uh, over, the overflowing love that never quits flowing. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his chesed for those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. Here is what God does. He takes, he's demonstrating, uh, the psalmist is demonstrating that God's willingness to forgive people's sins is immense. He he creates an image of God's love spanning impossible distances. And if if you could think of the greatest example of height and depth and width, God's love is beyond any of that. That's the extent of his forgiveness and his love. It's unreachable. It's an overflowing love that never quits flowing. In the New Testament, chesed is uh, not found because it's written in Greek. And so we, uh, but we do know that from the Older Testament, when it was translated from Hebrew to Greek, it's called the Septuagint, that the Hebrew word chesed was most regularly translated to the Greek word Elios, E-L-E-O-S, which typically is translated in the, in the Newer Testament as mercy. As, just as uh, hesed doesn't have an English word one for one, it doesn't really have a single word in the, in the Greek. But just as every other characteristic of God is directly revealed to us in Jesus, Luke connects the overflowing love that never stops flowing, that is given to us in Exodus, directly to Jesus. Now watch this, after, after the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her, hey, your life is going to be radically changed. Everything that you think you've known is gonna be completely turned upside down. Uh, he, uh, Mary sings a song of praise to God in which his mercy or his unfailing love, his love that's overflowing and doesn't stop flowing is, on, uh, is the focus of it. He says in Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 46, this is what Mary says. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy, his unfailing love extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has, he has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. There that word again is, Elios, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary is very specific about using this word and, and calls to mind all the history of God's unfailing, overflowing love that never stops flowing to her people. She sees herself as, a, as just one recipient in a long line of generations who received God's overflowing love that never stops flowing. 
We find the same thing in Paul's letters. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul focuses on this theme of God's mercy, seeing it as a consistent part of God's character throughout the historical relationship with the people of Israel, manifesting in extremely unexpected ways. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But because of his great love, agape, which is a different Greek word we can do a whole nother message on, for us, God, who is rich in mercy, Elios, his unfailing, overflowing love that never quits flowing, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Across generations, God keeps his promises. And more often than not, he does it in really surprising ways. The most surprising of the ways of God demonstrates his miraculous, unmerited chesed is when he sent his son to humanity and allowed him to be sacrificed for our sake. Focusing on his love during a candlelight service allows us to both enjoy the beauty and the benefits of the candle and of the wonder of God's love for you and I. Before we light our candles and enjoy uh, this serene moment of a candlelight service, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to that overflowing love that never stops flowing. The chesed, chesed of Jesus demonstrated, that he demonstrated, took him from a, a, a manger to a cross where he died for us. His overflowing love that never stops flowing is available to us today when we turn to him. Would you pray with me? God, your love is overwhelming. You have loved us since the very dawning of creation. You have shown that your love for us is demonstrated in your life, your death, and your resurrection. So tonight, we turn to you. You are the only source of salvation. Thank you for your love, and we're gonna follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.